In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to be honest. The person of Solomon is sometimes a little bit strange for me. I never know quite what to do with him. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he a role model? Or is he not? This reading this morning tends to be seen in a very positive light. In children's Bibles and Sunday school curriculum, we may learn how humble Solomon was and how wise he was. We may use this story as a tool for us to understand maybe what we should pray for. However, when we truly dig into the heart of this story, we will find maybe more than we probably bargained for. You see, I'm supposed to take us and put us into Solomon's story. Try to make some sort of connection or application from what's going on in his life to our own. Instead, what happened when I did that was Solomon's story became actually more of a judgment upon me. Particularly on my life as a seminary student and my future as a pastor. Let me show you what I mean. So we all know about Solomon. We have that great book of Proverbs and Solomon's wonderful building of the big, massive temple. Let's be honest, Solomon is just a stand-up guy, right? I mean, that's how the children's Bibles portray him, and it's how we like to see him. At the same time, I really can't overlook some of the major pitfalls in Solomon's life. As much as we want to call Solomon wise, I can't ignore those haunting concubines and the very fact that Solomon walks away from Yahweh. The very God who gave him everything he had, he just walked away. So when I call him wise, it feels as though I'm really just lying to myself, trying to pretend that Solomon was such a great guy, a great example of the faith. You see, this whole event of Solomon talking to God, really, it kind of becomes uncomfortable for me. When you think about it, it's really uncomfortable for all of us. Why does Solomon just totally mess it up? See, everything is going great, and then in chapter 11, Solomon just goes off the rails. What happened? If Solomon was so wise, why wasn't he really wise? You see, it's at this point that I start to feel as though I'm kind of standing over Solomon. I'm kind of making a judgment on him. As though I'm able to stand over him and tell him whether he was right or wrong just because I live in the world of the New Testament. But the reality is, is Solomon is uncomfortable for me because it's not Solomon that's the problem. See, Solomon is really just a mirror of myself. I think that the story of Solomon is really actually kind of convicting for all of us as a seminary community and as future pastors in Christ's church than we would probably like to admit. You see, it's easy for us to look at Solomon and maybe be a little confused by why Solomon would just walk away from Yahweh himself and ignore the gifts that God had given him. How could he make such a fatal error? Why would he think that he needs more than what God had given him? The problem is, is that while I'm asking those questions about Solomon, here I am, I'm sitting in the library at home, digging through commentary after commentary, flying through the pages of my Bible, doing the exact same thing Solomon did. 
I look at Solomon and wonder, why would he want more? Why was the wisdom God gave him not enough? Think about Solomon and think about how we function daily on this campus. You see, we spend our days deeply entrenched in God's word, digging deeply into the minds of scripture, searching and seeking to find the truth. We have this gift of faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ who is the way and the truth and the life. The whole meaning and the drive of the entire scriptures is sitting right there before us at our disposal. Yet day after day, sermon after sermon, we sweat and we strain over the text for every sermon we give, over the commentaries and the articles that we want to write and to read, hoping we will find something more than we bargained for. We wish we could find something that will change the world. So here I, here I am, finding myself digging through commentary after commentary, reading the text over and over again in the hopes that I might find something new. I want to find something that can really shock my hearers. The books pile up. I rewrite my sermon countless times. The more I reflect on myself and really a lot of our approaches here, it can seem that we are really just a bunch of little Solomons. This is what we do. We have this treasure trove of riches sitting in our laps. Everything we could possibly need is sitting right there before us. We have life and salvation in that text right there. And yet, it isn't enough for us. It isn't enough for our publishers. It isn't enough for our hearers. It isn't enough for ourselves. The word of God that sits before us just isn't enough. See, we look at Solomon and we wonder, how could he be so foolish? How could he ignore something so utterly obvious? Yet here we stand with our books and our questions, always wanting to answer the next big theological question. We're always searching for more than we have. We read books and we want more than what they tell us. We listen in our classes and we're unsatisfied with the words that we hear. Even God's words spoken to us in this very chapel and in our own Bibles that we read, they don't satisfy our theological needs. More, more, we cry. Like little Solomons, we walk to and from our classes, we go from church to church, and we finally get our first calls, and we say to all those people in our churches, what you need is more. You need more knowledge, more theology. And really, really, we just want to tell them, you just don't have enough information. I know more, and I'm going to give you more. See, we just ignore entirely the very gift of Jesus Christ. Christ, the very purpose, the identity, and the entire reason why all of us are here at this place, at this seminary. You see, the whole purpose of 1 Kings chapter 3 is that it's not about Solomon. It's not about his words. It's not about his actions. But it's all about what God does. It's about his work, and it's about God's gift, abundant gift, to Solomon. And you see, it's the exact same for us. What's important about us and what's important about this place is about God's gift to us. His gift in Jesus Christ. And that is what our daily life here at the seminary is all about. 
filled with moments where we actually receive the gift of Jesus Christ day in and day out, but often we just overlook it. We just ignore it. But we receive that gift in Jesus Christ in the words written on the pages of our Bible, but not only that, it's spoken in the voices of the people who teach us in every class. We receive the gift of Christ from our own peers as we talk and discuss in the library and in the cafeteria where the name of Jesus is practically echoing off the walls. We receive the gift of Jesus in the pages of the confessions and in the words of ancient authors, the words that we read all the time. Like poetry, their words practically bring us to tears as Jesus is brought to life in their prayers and in their sermons. We receive the gift of Christ through the words of the hymns and the songs that we sing. We experience it through their melodies and through the sounds of our voices and the instruments which practically shake our very souls as we sing and we listen to the work of Christ in our own lives. We receive the gift when we open our hands and we come to this very altar every Wednesday and receive Christ himself in the palm of our hands. So you see, our purpose here as pastors and as seminary students, it's not found in the amount of sermons that we give. It's not the theology that we understand or the books that we write or that we read. Our purpose as pastors is secured and found only, only entirely in the person of Jesus Christ, which gives himself to us. And he gives it to us more abundantly than we could possibly imagine. It's in Jesus Christ that we are given everything that we could possibly need. We don't need more. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to find a better way. We don't need to make it sound better. Our purpose has nothing to do with us and what we want. It's about Jesus Christ who gives himself up completely for us. Jesus Christ is all about giving, and we do nothing. Because you see, the cross is where Jesus gives everything. He gives his strength, his blood, his sweat, and his very last words were given for us. On the cross of Christ, Jesus gives everything. And it's about Jesus. Jesus accomplishes everything that we could possibly need. And on Easter morning, on the empty tomb, it has nothing to do with us. It's about what God does. It's about what Jesus does. Because the empty tomb gives us life eternal without our approval, without our asking for it. He just gives it. So Christ on his cross and in the tomb on Easter morning has nothing to do with us. It has to do with what God does to us. It's not about what we do. It's about what God gives and about what we receive in Jesus Christ. We receive everything in him and that is all. So, As seminarians, as professors, and as future pastors, what does that really mean? It means that it really makes everything utterly simple, but completely and utterly difficult at the same time. Simple because we do nothing, but it's totally difficult because we need to make ourselves utterly insignificant without question. We need to forget about ourselves, forget about what we want, And let everything, I mean everything, everything about Jesus Christ. As theologians, we will let Christ speak. 
As teachers, we will let Christ teach. As pastors, it is not us that feeds the sheep. It is Christ who comforts and guides his own sheep. The story of Christ isn't about anything that we do, but it's about what Christ is doing to us, period. So if everything is about Jesus, then it seems that our roles here as students, teachers, and future pastors is to make our lives, our actions, and our works completely invisible, which means we need to pray, pray hard for wisdom to actually do it. Wisdom to not look at ourselves, but wisdom that is only Jesus Christ. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna stand and we're gonna pray for that wisdom. So please stand. Let us pray. I then have nothing before you. I am as one that is dead. I commit my soul into your pure hands in this age and in the age to come. You are able to do all things. You know all things. You desire every good thing for all men and ever desire my salvation. This is clear from the blessings that in your grace you give and always give to us. Visible and invisible, known and unknown, and that gift of yourself, O Son and Logos of God, which is beyond our understanding. Yet who am I that I should dare speak to you of these things, you searcher of hearts? I speak of them in order to make known to myself and to my enemies that I take refuge in you, the harbor of my salvation. For I know that by your grace that you are God, I do not dare to say many things, but only wish to set before you an intellect that is inactive, deaf and mute. It is not myself, but your grace that accomplishes all things. For knowing that I am always full of evil, I do not attribute such things to my own goodness. And because of this, I fall down as a servant before you. For you have found me worthy of repentance, and I am your servant. But do not allow me, my Lord Jesus Christ, my God, to do or say or think anything contrary to your will. The sins I have already committed are enough. But in whatever way you desire, have mercy on me. I have sinned. Have mercy on me as you know I believe, Lord, that you hear my pitiful cry. Help my unbelief. Amen. Now may this peace of God which surpasses all our human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.